Welcome to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial. Now, here's your host, Patrick Donahoe. Hi, everyone. Welcome uh, welcome to the podcast. This is Patrick Donahoe. I am here hosting this morning with Brad Gibb. Brad, uh, how's it going? Can't think of anything better to do on a Saturday morning than a podcast with Patrick Donahoe. It's good stuff. <laughs> we're, we're actually pre-recording. Uh, this is going to be broadcasting on a Wednesday. And uh, so it will be after the Seahawks lose, it, mm. sound, it sounds like, when yeah. this will be broadcast live. Hey, say what you will. <laughs> we'll, let them, we'll let them prove it tomorrow. Uh, okay. Do you have any money on it? No money on it. Just a lot of pride. You're getting a lot of harassment. Just, uh, lots. Yep. Okay. But I went, I went two decades as a lonely Seahawks fan, so this is just... Yeah, you're a legitimate one. You're not a Fairweather right. fan. That's right. You're legitimate from Washington. Okay, we're not going to anyway. talk about the Super Bowl today. We're, uh, we're going to get into something really, really exciting. We're going to talk about, uh, talk about crowdfunding. We have a, a cool guest that, uh, uh, that's going to join us. He is the president of Fundrise, and they are one of the premier uh, crowdfunders in the commercial real estate development space. And what they're doing is... Uh, is absolutely incredible. So, uh, we're also going to get into just other other ways in which individuals are finding uh, finding paths around the, the problems that are being uh, presented by traditional traditional industries. And I think crowdfunding and just the social environment in relation to uh, how people are are kind of banding together, banding their resources, and uh, and and coming up with solutions to these problems. So it's going to be really exciting. So let's go ahead and get uh, get into this interview, and then Brad and I can uh, can comment afterwards. Today, our guest is Dan Miller. He is the co-founder and president of Fundrise. I, uh, I actually first, uh, first heard about Fundrise about six, six months ago. Uh, a buddy of mine was in, was in the office, and he is just highly connected in the, in the technology world and recently sold, uh, sold his company for, for several millions of dollars. And he was kind of in, in, uh, in search mode as far as uh, what he could invest in, and he didn't want to go the traditional route. He was looking for... Uh, ways in which uh, companies were utilizing some of the technology that made him successful and, uh, and make uh, investments uh, in, in that way. And so as we were talking and as he was doing his research, uh, he had uh, invested in a company called, called, uh, called Fundrise. And, uh, and I was fascinated because I have been in the, the real estate industry for, uh, for a little bit per, uh, personally. And, uh, and so hearing uh, how he was able to invest and the ease and how he was able to do his due diligence so well uh, it, it floored me, and I think uh, on top of that, uh, after after I had this meeting uh, with uh, with my friend, I attended a, a really big tech conference in San Francisco, and there was a whole breakout session on this idea of uh, of crowdfunding and uh, community involvement with not just financial services businesses, but just business in general. And some of the companies that were spotlighted were companies like Lending Club, uh, Uber, Lyft, uh, and uh, Airbnb. Just some of the ways in which uh, technology is is uh, is uh, throwing on its head just the traditional industries that are out there. So uh, so I'm really excited to uh, to be interviewing Dan today. So uh, Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. So Dan, why don't why don't you give uh, our listeners uh, a summary of your professional background and how how you came up with the idea of Fundrise? Sure. So my brother and I founded Fundrise in 2010. It was actually initially a spin-off of our family real estate business. So our father was one of the larger developers in Washington, D.C. My brother worked for him for about 10 years. I finished business school. And we initially started with our own real estate development business. 
in Washington, D.C., buying and developing projects. And we were frustrated with traditional institutional investors and their not understanding the neighborhoods we're investing in, them not wanting to be involved in smaller deals. And we thought, well, why don't we build a platform and let anybody invest alongside us in these deals? People know the neighborhood, they know the real estate, people are excited about the growth that's happening here. Why can't they, they be investors as well? So it took us, you know, a relatively simple concept. It took us about two years to figure out the regulatory structure to make that possible. We launched Fundrise publicly in 2012 with our first deal. Uh, there's a single building, 1351 H Street Northeast in Washington, D.C., and any resident of D.C. or Virginia could invest in that deal for as little as 100 bucks. So true real estate crowdfunding was the first time real estate crowdfunding deals had been done in the U.S., and we had real estate companies from all the, around the country starting to reach out to us and ask to be able to use the technology. So at that point, we were the real estate company and the platform and realized the business here was in being the platform for other real estate operators. So we've since shut down our own development business and are focused on scaling Fundrise as a platform for real estate companies to raise capital online and also giving everybody the chance to invest directly in private commercial real estate transactions. So it's kind of two, so it's twofold. So so a developer developer can come to you with with a project, and you you have the staff to analyze it to underwrite it, and and then subsequently you have uh, the investor side of things that helps that helps fund the deal. Yeah, there's really two sides of the market. So deals come to us, sponsors through offline introductions, online submissions. We underwrite the deal. We structure it. We actually invest with our own balance sheet to close the transaction. And then we put it up on Sunrise to let anybody invest in the deal. So it's us underwriting the deal. It's us structuring it, trying to make it very easy for someone to come in and invest a few thousand dollars in the transaction. And what we've seen is there's a huge market of real estate transactions below institutional scale. Most institutional investors only want to invest $10 million or less into a project, which means if you have bank debt and you have $10 million of equity, you're talking about $30 million plus of transaction size before they will even look at it. And so there's a huge market of these smaller, urban, infilled, mid-sized deals where there's, there's really a lack of capital or lack of easy access to capital, and that's really the market that we're serving and giving investors the opportunity to get in that asset class. And it's interesting, you know, uh, before before we started recording, uh, I think one of the you know one of the companies that have been, that's been paving the way is is Lending Club, and it's it's a you know, it's it's not identical, but it's it's a similar similar situation where you had you know a huge crash in uh, in the markets in two thousand eight two thousand nine, and credit was ruined, and there was tons of foreclosures, and it became. Really difficult for the average person to get uh, to get personal personal loans, and so Lending Club came in and they were you know hugely successful. And then recently, I think their IPO was was uh, was um, was above a billion billion dollars. I mean, it was an incredible IPO, and so they've kind of paved the way. But now you've basically taken it sounds like similar problems that uh, Lending Club experienced on the consumer level with uh, with the developer level and also just also individuals. Uh, getting into deals at a very small amount of money, which typically requires, the, you know, these types of deals. I assume if you were to go into a private deal, you know, they, the minimums are, you know, ten, ten thousand plus, hundred thousand. I've seen as, as high as a Even million. Even more, yeah, hundred, two hundred fifty thousand, and it's kind of random how you see the deal. So there are a lot of similarities in lending club at different verticals, us real estate, other companies at different verticals. Because you're aggregating deals at a scale that would be too inefficient for someone to do themselves. So with Lending Club, it's a $20,000 consumer loan. For us, it may be a $3 million preferred equity position in the deal. And so we can aggregate these smaller deals 
and make them standardized and readily available for investors. So they just come to the site, they look at the deal, they download the diligence information, they speak with our investor relations people, and then they can just transact electronically, sign everything electronically, fund electronically, get investor updates digitally. So it really simplifies the process on both ends. And I think there's going to be huge growth in these alternative investment platforms over the next decade. And that's what's and that's what's fascinating is everything everything is done on your on your website. So there's there's really no paperwork exchanged. And even even due diligence. I mean, I know you guys have have individuals that will answer questions verbally, um, but on each deal, you have you know kind of a a forum of sorts where people can interact and ask questions and. It's it's really just a, fa- a fascinating concept, and you've been able to streamline it all all online as opposed to, you know, just the manual way in which it's been done in the past. Yeah, and it, and it started to grow exponentially. So the incremental cost of investors near zero, and when real estate operators see us do a deal in their market, they tend to reach out to us. So it's one of these things where we're still funding smaller transactions, you know, one to five million dollar position deals below thirty million, but it's grown very quickly, and I think we'll do. Probably 150 million of volume this year. Last year we did 25. So you know it really is growing incredibly quickly, and leveraging technology and networks to get to that level of scale. Oh, I bet, I bet. And you guys, so so why don't you? I know that you had a recent deal that came online in regards to uh, uh, the World Trade, the World Trade Center, uh, the different buildings that are going in in that in that development. Uh, why don't you speak to maybe that and also some of the other projects that you guys have funded? Sure. So we just put uh, Three World Trade Center on the site, and it's just exciting to be able to offer a deal, you know, of that caliber, a world-class developer with Silverstein. Um, really, just a premier iconic asset, and it shows people that it's not just mid-sized, smaller transactions, but it's really of the caliber of, you know, some of the best real estate deals in the world. Um, another deal that I particularly like is the first one I mentioned. The first deal we did, we raised three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars from one hundred seventy-five investors. Anybody could invest for as little as 100 bucks. It was a small urban infill, a, re, a repositioning of an old auto warehouse into a food market and a restaurant, and it should be opening next month. And so not only with that deal did you have the investment capital, but you also had those investors spending money at the restaurant. They helped with permitting and entitlements. They, there was a delay in the sewer upgrades. They emailed the permit office um, to expedite the deal. So we've seen not only do you have people investing in these deals, but you also have People then connected to the asset and willing to support it with their dollars and, and their votes. That's incredible. So, why don't you just maybe briefly speak speak to where do you think uh, where do you think Fundrise is going in the in the next let's say five five years? So, you know, right now we started in Washington D.C. We now have offices in New York and L.A. So, in about ten markets in the U.S., hope to be in twenty five thirty by the end of the year. But really, where we want to take it is. A global platform where anybody can invest directly in a single real estate deal or portfolio of deals. Very efficient, very transparent, small investors, larger investors, and create a marketplace for real estate capital. Um, today, it's, it's kind of a random process for raising funding. You reach out to existing investors, you connect with new ones, but there's no central place you can come and raise capital for private deals as if there's a market. So. We really see it being, you know, global in scale, global in, in funds, and providing access to everybody to invest in real estate. And it seems like, and I know that the the banking industry has has changed a little bit. They're they're improving somewhat, but no nowhere near some of the some of the kind of alternative or new ways to uh, to finance. Um, but do you do you see crowdfunding being 
uh, maybe in, in real estate or on a on a, a, a consumer level, do you see it becoming a, a big a big part of just the financial the financial industry? I, I really think it's going to restructure how the financial industry works in the next you know five years or so. So, you know, when people think crowdfunding, they think small amounts of money raised online, but it's really the power of using technology to distribute investments broadly and using networks to share those investments and. It's, Leveraging the power that you know, Twitter, Facebook, and blogs showed with content creation, that same power with distribution of investments. And so the idea of efficiently raising funding online, aggregating a huge number of investors, making the process very simple and fast, it's a more efficient process than traditional banking with branches and lots of loan officers and layers of management. And so I think the cost structure, when it gets to scale, will be more efficient and the same way in the publishing industry that, that it really caused problems for a lot of the old line businesses, I think old line financial services, when this gets to scale, when the, the online funding, crowdfunding industry gets to scale, will threaten and restructure the whole market. So I think, you know, there obviously will be existing lending. Not all funding is going to go online, but it's going to change the paradigm. It's going to bring a new economic model, and it's going to re- require everybody to adapt. So I think... The same way in media, media publishing, there's been a lot of transformation in the past decade. I expect to see the same with financial services now. Those are such 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 great great points. So so why don't you tell tell the listeners uh, ways in which they can uh, learn more about Fundrise? Uh, I'm assuming you guys have uh, some social media outlets or a blog. Uh, do you mind uh, referencing some of those? Absolutely. So you can just sign up on Fundrise.com for free. You'll get notifications as new deals come up, become available. You can reach out to us to discuss any of the transactions. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Fundrise. We also have our own blog. But we normally say just sign up for the site. You'll be notified as new deals become available. You can start to see what we do. Uh, most of the investments are double digits, you know, mid-teens returns, which are pretty attractive in this environment. And we really stand behind them. We fund them with our own funds up front. Um, and, and we believe in what we're doing and we're really excited about it. So we, we, we're excited to have people invest with us and, and show them that this is credible and it's really growing very quickly. Dan, again, it's, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Appreciate you, your time. And I'm um, excited to hear uh, where, you guys, uh, where you guys go. Yeah, thank you. It's been great to be on. All right, Brad. What do you uh, What do you think? That was pretty. Uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I hope everybody you know, listened to that. Whether you stayed on for this part or not, that was the meat of this podcast yeah. to see what people are up to and and smart, amazing people. I mean, they were successful developers before this. It wasn't like they needed this, but the family was. Yeah, yeah. They saw this problem and yeah. said, "We have to jump in and make this happen." And to go from ten markets to 25 markets to in the 30, next year. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be it, it's it really shows how how much momentum is behind a movement like this. Well, I was doing I was doing some research uh, the other the other day and I and but the Boston Boston Consulting Group is the one that uh, uh, that, that I was reading reading into a report that was analyzing the amount of private wealth that's in circulation in, in the world. And it's in it's in uh, just north of 150 trillion dollars. And it's an it's a, that's an incredible incredible amount. Now it's, now it's throughout the world, mm-hmm. and I think you know thirty forty years ago, the question would be, well, how am I? I, I can you know there there might be a ton of private wealth in Europe and and uh, and in Australia and in other other parts of the world. 
how can I ever transact? How can I ever transact there? And, and I think people get to these barriers in, in their life and, and it becomes, you know, this absolute barrier. They never, they never jump. They don't, they don't jump over it. They don't, they don't figure out solutions. It's the barriers there and they, and they give up. And I think 30 years ago, a lot of people, you know, were doing international trade, international business and commerce. Uh, but nowadays, just look at what the internet has enabled people to do and how you're able to transact um, and provide business and provide value so that that $150 trillion that's circulating throughout the world can end up at, you know, in your banking. Now, it's not gonna all end up in your bank account, but <laughs> that'd be nice. But, but again, the, the idea is individuals, when they have wealth, when they have money, they realize that there's only so much they can uh, invest with themselves, invest in their business, invest locally. They're looking for venues uh, to solve their problems and give them a good return with a high degree of certainty. And I think crowdfunding uh, from from this you know, commercial real estate space is is really exciting just because of you know a lot of the commercial developments that are going to be going in over the next decade just because of modern modern technology and, and building improvement um, but it's it goes to the personal level as as well individuals need capital to grow their small businesses or to uh, support their family in an emergency and crowdfunding has really come in and taken the place of uh, of banks and traditional financial institutions now it's not it, it, it's it's a small fraction right now, so I'm not saying that they're you know they're uh, pushing the you know Wall Street and financial services on their on their heels, um, but they're getting to that point. And I think that is really starting to to be a bug in the ear of Wall Street and banks is seeing wow we've created some issues with um, not being able to lend money on, uh, to people and not uh, you know having these difficult credit guidelines and term guidelines. People are not going to them anymore for credit. They are figuring out a way to go uh, to Kickstarter or to go to uh, Lending Club or to go to Prosper.com and figure out ways to get their own own financing. They're also using other tools uh, to crowd to crowdfund uh, their business or to crowdfund uh, raising money for other other uh, other issues. And we're going to talk about that in the in the podcast today. But it's it's pretty. It's just I just love you and I are both oh. you know kind of on that entrepreneurial spirit uh, drive, and we love just seeing how people are coming up with these solutions and just, you know, hearing Dan and, and meeting him. Uh, and there's lots of other stuff that he's doing that he wasn't able to mention on the, on the podcast. It's just exciting, just exciting that people are in that space and really taking a problem by the horns and, you know, and figuring out a solution. Yeah. It's exciting on, on a lot of levels because as I started to get into real estate, once I started to look around and say, wow, real estate is everywhere. And I drive up and down, I mean, just driving to work and things, I'd see a development going in and say, Who's funding that? And how could you ever be a part of that? That's, that would be incredible to be able to do that. Now, fortunately, in the last couple of years, I've been able to do, you know, be part of some deals like that. But it takes, I mean, it took 15 years of building contacts and putting myself in a position to be able to do that. Now, it's making it so the average person, and, and I liked what he talked about. These, the people in their local communities are, are vested in these deals. I mean, these are people, this gives you a chance to invest somewhat sort of in your own backyard and drive past that and say, I can be, I can take part in that. It's not just for the elite. Yep. And it's not just, I mean, we're going to probably focus a little more on how it impacts the average investor, but it's going to make the ability for people to, to get projects off the ground. It's going to be much easier to do that. They started in a certain, you know, one to three to $5 million space because that was the gap. It was too big for an individual or a small group, but then it wasn't quite big enough for a wall street bank to, to get involved with. So there was just this big gap. And so now that there's capital for that, there's going to be people going out and doing all that stuff that just was going undone before. Yeah. So both sides, it's going to be a spur to just developing what we can do 
you know, as a human race, now that we have access to, to, you know, connecting the people that can do this, but really what we'll focus on, I think a little more here is what, what opportunity this, this provides for the average investor that was locked out of, of these types of arenas before. And that's the thing is I know, I know you've, you know, you've done, you know, your, your little single family residence and some multi multifamily stuff, but I know that you got this past year into a lot of these, you know, syndicated type of investments were, investors would pool pool their money but i remember you telling me that these minimums were you know the minimums to invest were upwards of you know in some cases 100 yeah. 200 half a million dollars to get into these types of, of investments and a lot of the big developments that are out there these days that's you know there is some private private funding uh that, that takes place but the minimums to be involved you have to be accredited you have to have a, a good deal of money to put at risk in these types of in these types of uh, uh you know syndicated events and then then you have to back out and do your own due diligence. Yep. I remember um, hearing about this this one group that raises just tons of capital, but the the amount of investors they have, the the investment gets filled up within within 24 hours, yep. which gives zero time for for due diligence. You get this investment opportunity, you read through the you know the the the, the summary, and you look at you know the demographics, and you look at and by the time you're done with that. The deal's it's already filled. Done. Yeah, and, and it's less about the deal itself and about the people putting it together. That's the investment. So it's about who you know and how, yeah. how you know whether you trust that guy or not. And unfortunately, I mean, before I was here at Paradigm, I worked in in what was called the shell company industry, where people were basically trying to raise capital for penny stocks. And man, I mean, the the f- I don't want to say fraud because hopefully that's what my job was to prevent that. But yeah. the the deception that went there and and what was promoted. I mean, there there are a lot of people raising money and putting really nice presentations together that you know they're the greatest deals in the world, or whether they're going to be able to deliver. So, not just the minimums, but then finding the right people that you can trust and you can put your money in there and get these returns. It's it's just a huge obstacle for the average person. It's very difficult. But fundraise, and this is the exciting thing: if you go on there and register, you you basically have this this uh, this blog section or forum section a part of the investment where people can make comments and they can ask questions yep. and the fundrise representatives the developers answer those questions so your due diligence isn't necessarily done just by you but you can actually combine efforts with other investors that are thinking about putting money in that deal and now you can you know you can uh, you can use their due diligence as well and just expand your comfort level when it comes to make those investments then yep. their minimums are i think they're like 5000 bucks you can invest in these multi-million dollar I mean, World Trade Center uh, type of deals for just a very small amount of money. It's really, really exciting. And I have a my next door neighbor does a lot of uh, development uh, in in Salt. In Salt, he's done some you know in the Midwest and some other areas. Uh, but the group he uses, I mean, it's the most difficult part was to eventually get the capital to fund those deals. And so I think developers, there's a lot of very talented developers out there and people that have ideas about uh-huh. this building, the buildings that you were talking about, whether it's yep. renovation or whether it's new build or ground up. It, it, there's a lot of um, you know there's a lot of opportunities out there right now. I mean, look, just like look at Salt Lake yep. in general, the buildings that have been ripped down completely, and then yep. these new structures that are going up everywhere. And I'm 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 you know I know that that's happening around the country. Yep. Looking at how those are funded has always been a question I've had as well. But now developers can go in with a good idea with a lot of talent, and they don't necessarily have to build this network that sometimes takes years um, to to be able to fund it. Now they can use mediums such as fundraise, mm-hmm. and there's several others that are yeah. out there uh, to be able to raise capital from not just people in their local circle of influence, but throughout you know yep. throughout the world. Well. 
and and the cool uh, effect that this is going to have as well is like eBay and Amazon made it, you know, add your ratings to this thing. So it makes the due diligence that much easier because a group can't come in and just scam a whole bunch of people through this now because they'll never be able to do it ever again, yep. right? But now that there's this social aspect and that we, I mean, it's going to be a little bit different than three-star, four-star, five-star ratings, but it's going to it's gonna hold people accountable to if they want to continue to use this medium, they've got to deliver on their promises. If they don't, now millions of people know about it rather than just, you know, the one group, they pull up stakes and go to the next town and raise money and, and you know, continue that. This interlinking investors puts us in a lot stronger position mm-hmm. because we can now communicate with each other and we're in the know. And and so the due diligence, not just on the deal, but on the people is just going through the roof. With yeah, and, us. I, and I think, you know, the, the other company I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with is, is Lending Club and Lending Club mm-hmm. uh, did their IPO this past year and it was north of a, bil- a billion dollars. I can't remember the exact exact amount of money, but it's the first, you know, first kind of crowdfunding company that's, that's, uh, mm-hmm. that's done that in the consumer lending space. And uh, in, in, in Lending Club, it's, you have the same dynamic, which is people. Everybody wants money. I mean, everybody wants to mm-hmm. to get uh, to get financing because it's going to help you know improve their life and or. or yeah, but there's also the other side of things where people will do it for the wrong for, for the wrong reason and have a, a different motive around it. Uh, but the best thing with Lending Club is you you can invest as an investor um, across thousands of different yep. loans at a minimum of like I think it's like twenty or twenty five bucks. So you can spread your risk because there's always going to be risk associated yep. with with this type of financing. But instead of having a hundred thousand or half a million in one deal, yep. you're able to spread that now across dozens or hundreds of deals. Yep. And that's huge for me too, because these syndications I'm in, I could only get into a couple. So I've got a lot of eggs in just a few baskets. So yeah, to have taken that same amount of money and spread it over twenty deals would totally change the the investment layout. Yep. So let, so let's kind of get into just kind of the the nature of of crowdfunding and other uh, other sections of of the economy and society they're using they're using crowdfunding. So another another na- I love my neighborhood. There's a lot of cool people that, that live in my neighborhood, but I have another uh, another neighbor who's actually from uh, from the East Coast and uh, we become really really good friends cuz he plays plays hockey and mm-hmm. and uh, and likes the Patriots. Um <laughs> I'm glad I'm not in your neighborhood. <laughs> uh, but he uh, he he uh, wrote for a lot of outdoor magazines. Uh, he produced uh, some uh, some movies and a very very talented individual. But he has a company now called uh, Rally Me. And Rally Me, what it does is it it crowdfunds uh, basically money for athletes. So he had I think about a half a dozen Olympians in the in the past Winter Olympics. And so basically, what what Olympians and athletes would do, they'd go to him. And they need to raise, you know, because families of athletes are not always independently wealthy. They have to have sponsors and they have to have, you know, people that will give them money to be able to train and not have to work and travel and, and so forth, uh, paying for their coaches, et cetera. So what Rally Me did, and it doesn't just do it for, for Olympic athletes. It does it just for teams in general. But again, it's the same same idea where instead of going to your local circle of influence, you can use a massive social media type of circle of influence. So how yeah. Rally Me works is basically an athlete will go on, create a profile, and then uh, put all their social media information in there and talk about them as an athlete, their goals, their passions, their values, their mission, uh, et cetera. And, and basically they're able to push out through their social media challenge, uh, the kind of Rally Me platform. So people can see, hey, I'm raising money to uh, to go to Sochi or go to the next Olympics. And and basically now, instead of having to rely on local sponsors or going in for families going into debt, now they can raise raise money, raise money that way. And it's worked for uh, sports teams. 
um, mm-hmm. that want to raise money to go to a tournament. Uh, it's it's fascinating because yeah. I I remember growing up in in uh, in hockey. My parents made a lot of sacrifices to put us on travel teams and send us to to this camp and that camp. And it gets it gets really expensive. Yep. But now you know that you can. Uh, put your uh, you know put your your web out there and and get little little types of uh, uh, donations to to raise money for your local local sports team. Uh, so that's just one aspect yep. of this idea of of social um, social funding and the social involvement in just uh, being being generous uh, and being charitable. And I, I remember um, one of the things I mentioned on the interview with Dan is uh, is going to Dreamforce up in San Francisco, which is a massive. Uh, Salesforce conference, and there's just you know th- tens of thousands of people there. It's a, it's bananas, um, but they had a whole section that I went to on cra- on crowdfunding and how you know this social participation is driving. Uh, it's really it's it's really creating competition for the traditional industries. Um, mm-hmm. One that's been really popular this year is Uber. Um, and Lyft, and which Lyft. is really challenging, and it's throughout the world, not yeah. just in the U.S., but it's challenging the status quo of, of taxis and public transportation. Uh, and it's all, it's I think it's yep. really I've used it before. Um, Airbnb is another yep. one where rooms can be rented out, um, or you know you have a, may have a vacation home or a second home or whatever, which you can now rent out very easily to, to individuals. And it goes to the same kind of ranking and responsibility system, which is you know indicative of, yep. of why eBay has been successful, which you can't just get on there and and, and uh, sell people. sell something and scam people. And it's funny that the pushback you're getting on things like Lyft and Uber is oh we have to have you know, the, the established apparatus in place to protect consumers and all that, that's going out the window because we're protecting each other yep. through ratings and through this and that and that. Mm-hmm. So it's allowing the competition of ideas to really begin to happen again. I mean, we're sort of seeing that renaissance of we're, this this concept of getting people, linking people together through technology to get a goal accomplished. It, it's changing the world. I mean, I've seen it even on a very small individual scale. I think you see it all the time. If you hear about, you know, somebody, you know, a young parent killed in a car accident or something, they'll launch a Facebook page and say to make donations, you know, for the family, there's this, right? You know, somebody gets cancer, they'll put a blog up and say, let's raise donations for this. Mm-hmm. All, I mean, that's even on a very micro level, even relatively within their own community, a way to, and that's just charitable just helping each other out but it's that ability to connect Mm -hmm. communities back together that is just i mean it's it's on every level all the way through this concept and the ability to do that is that to me is what's changing the world right now yeah and my you know and i think one of the one of the things i wanted to to talk about since you you've been doing this a a, a while now working working with Mm -hmm. paradigm and consulting with clients and we we uh, we have the opportunity to meet with just tons of different type of people from from everywhere. Uh, we're not bound to you know a local you know a, a mm-hmm. local uh, market, uh, and so we get to hear stories and people's fears and people's concerns. And I think I think it's the easy one of the easiest things to gravitate toward is is fear. Uh, yeah. I think fear has a very dominant place in our in our mind. And it's something that uh, you know it, it dominates our thoughts. It dominates you know how how we act. And uh, and these days, because of how much stimuli and information that's out there, uh, there are there are a lot of afraid, a lot of afraid people. And we yep. experience that on on a daily basis. And a lot of reasons why people come, will come to Paradigm is to you know get rid of this get rid of this fear, create certainty, have a system, uh, be more disciplined, and get out of the you know the traditional investments and traditional you know financial planning models. And and so it's exciting for us because we're able to help people get get over mm-hmm. this get over this fear. But looking at you know the 
the the fear that relates to traditional industries like the banking industry and the derivative markets and how much credit is out there and the government borrowing this and the government borrowing that and and, and the media is you know the media is, is misleading and deceiving us I mean, these days, like you said, we're we're in this space where society is able to police police itself. Uh, number one, and the second thing is people are figuring out solutions to to these fears. Now, it may not be you. You may some people are are afraid, which paralyzes them to take any action. But other people see fear as one of the most amazing opportunities to figure out change. Mm-hmm. And I think that's you know a lot of the well, what we're talking about today is is that change. Society has always changed. There's always been fear. There's always been chaos. There's always been war. It's existed since the beginning yep. of time, and it's and it's most likely always going to going to exist. But that is what that's the environment that gives people the ability to progress. It gives people the ability to evolve, to come up with solutions, um, and to and to grow. And if the environment was utopian and everybody you know had all the money in the world and everybody had no challenges and their bodies were perfect there wouldn't really be a huge space to be able to grow and thrive Um, but we have the perfect grounds and so my advice is with dan he didn't say after we went to grad school you know my dad has you know been in real estate forever and you know i'm the I'm just, I don't know if I'm going to be as successful as him. No, he said, I'm going to take an industry that I'm familiar with and I'm going to figure out the, the problems that existed in that industry and how mm-hmm. I'm going to create a company to solve those problems. And a lot of other people, whether it's it's Bill uh, Kerrigan, Rally Me, uh, or it's Kickstarter, or it's Lending Club or Prosper, uh, and there's a ton of other of these different companies that are out there. What it did is it, it really gave the, you, the listener, evidence that when a problem exists, that is... A light bulb should be flaring in your face. There is an opportunity. And if you really look at it, there is a ton of opportunity out there right now. And the private wealth that exists can flow to you if you create a viable enough solution. Yep. Deep thoughts by Patrick Donahoe. That's, that's good stuff. And, and you know, I, when I think about fear, unfortunately, the media feeds on, on one half of the fear side of loss, right? Of, you know, you're going to lose your money. You're not going to do this or that. Where, Fear can be a useful tactic if it says, look, I'm afraid of not being able to feed my family, right? So I'm going to get out there and, and figure something out. So it's not a, fear doesn't have to paralyze. Fear can motivate and fear can drive. And that's what, I mean, that's really what you want to be able to put yourself in control of. It's, it's kind of like, um, this is kind of a silly example, but I've got a four-year-old who's scared of the dark. And so we have to go through a routine of, we turn all the lights on. And we walk through, we open the closet and we look under the bed and we pull his drawers out and everything's fine. And then he's able to, you know, do what he needs to do and go to bed. So we some sort of as investors, we need to do that with ourselves too. And that's some of the education we take people through. So we say, look, there's not a boogeyman in your closet. Nobody's out to get you. These things aren't, you know, there are ways to protect yourselves and do the right things to put everything in place so that you can take action. This type of, of platform is an amazing opportunity to take action. But I bet there's a lot of people out there listening saying, well, that's not for me. There's no way I could do that. Or I don't know enough about this or that. Use that fear to motivate you to, to learn enough to be able to do it. Start looking under the bed and start making sure there isn't anything there and, and get everything in order so that you can. I'm not saying everybody ought to just jump in and participate, mm-hmm. but you've got to have the basics in place, the education in place, your reserves in place, and, all, and then make work to the point where this can be a part of it. Because like I said at the beginning, nothing else in the world has created wealth the way real estate does. There isn't anything out there that does it that way. So use that to say there are opportunities now for me to participate or 
even better yet, find start your own fundraise, right? Find the area that you have some expertise and you can link people together and say, let's bring people together in a community and, and start something amazing. I mean, that's, you already said it. We kind of did that at Paradigm. We took a kind of a very traditional model and said, how can we reach more people? How can we use what's out there? And, and it's been amazing what's been done, but there are so many industries left to be transformed if we could get use the fear to motivate us to, to solve the problems and create the prosperity that we're all looking for. Yeah, and I think one of the most... One of the most difficult things for people to to really to really have in their life is 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 courage is courage to act is courage to actually do do something mm-hmm. uh, because you you look at you know just January what's 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 the common theme in January people want to change everybody wants to change everyone wants to be better that's just it's a natural part of of how a human being lives their life. Mm-hmm. And, and so January is when people make resolutions. They say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. But then obviously, you know, it's, it's a short-lived caffeine high type <laughs> of motivation uh, and action. But looking, looking, at, you know, looking at the opportunities that exist in life, uh, having the courage to act is one of those most difficult, difficult things. Um, being successful and um, really making a difference, it just doesn't, you know, it, it's not easy. Uh, and it's not meant to be. But the rewards, the rewards are, are out there, and the evidence of what Dan is doing with Fundrise, mm-hmm. uh, and you know a lot of what uh, you know other people just in every in, every industry, what they've done, where they're at, what they've created is evidence that you can do the exact exact same thing. And uh, and I know there's going to be adversity; there always will be. But but that's just proof that you're on the you're on the right path. So our our advice to you is, you know, start start thinking, start really looking at the status quo, start looking at, you know, industries evolving. And are you on the sidelines or are you in the game and really start to question the way in which you're managing your finances? Uh, Is it by the book relating to what Wall Street tells you to do? Or are there economic principles that back it and education that you know what you're doing? It's not just guesswork or trusting somebody else. And that's essentially what the foundation of the wealth standard is, is really to help individuals see that there's another way. And once they see two different perspectives, which is the dominant perspective and the alternative perspective, now they can make a better decision. Yep. It doesn't mean they're always going to choose our direction, but at least they'll know what they're doing to a higher to a higher level. Yep. And that's and that's what's exciting. And one of the things I wanted to, to end with today um, is is another neighbor. Man, I've talked about all my <laughs> all my neighbors today, uh, but this neighbor was a, was a really special special neighbor. I actually attended uh, his funeral this past this past week, and he was old, he was older. Um, he was almost uh, almost 86, and he is he is the father of the condominium. So he created and invented the condominium idea. And for most of his career, he went around consulting with real estate developers on on how to create. You know, the first condominium was in Salt Lake City, but how to create the first uh, you know the the first condo complexes that were in the country. Mm. And the remuneration that he had financially from from that allowed him to be just an incredible an incredible person an incredible in, uh, individual. Um, the funeral was over two hours two hours long. Uh, he he coached uh, football. He he coached uh, baseball. A lot of his uh, players were there, and it was it was just fascinating the the uh, the impact you can have in in other people's lives uh, if you have a degree of, of financial freedom. Not to say that you can't have one without it, but the way in which he was able to take his his financial freedom and impact the lives of others was profound. And it was a two, it was two hours of his family just talking about the stories and things that he was able to do, the travel that they had. Um, it, it was it was amazing. 
And it was, it was just a huge, you know, it was a testament to me that, um, you know, we, we have these lives and these lives are, are meant to make a difference. They're meant to take advantage of our talents, our opportunities. Um, and right now there are more than, uh, the more opportunities than ever to take your talents, to take your beliefs and make something, make something with them. Um, the last part of this guy, uh, this, my, my neighbor, Keith, he, uh, um, he was in a wheelchair for the last uh, 15 years of his life. He had muscu- muscular dystrophy. He also had four types of cancer. Uh, he had polio when he was a, when he was a child. So you didn't have this silver spoon laying on his on his lap. This was actually another evidence of the immense amount of adversity that exists when you want to achieve something. Uh, but pushing through the physical ailments that he had, uh, he was still able to overcome and make a, a huge in, a huge difference in, in people's lives. It was funny, one of the stories that they were, they were telling was when he was coaching football, um, his assistant coach was a woman. And at the time, he wasn't in wheelchair, a, a wheelchair, but he had like two, two canes. And, and, uh, and so when the, when they would walk off, it was kind of one of those like bait, you know, it was, uh, it's kind of like the 90 degree velociraptor type of attack where you had this, you know, these, this woman and this guy in, in, in cane crutches walking off the bus, everybody noticed them, but then they didn't notice the power of, of the team or his power to coach them. So he kind of caught them off guard and distracted <laughs> them and that, and they had, a, they had some, I don't know. They only had a, a half a dozen losses or, or so. But anyway, again, my, my point behind telling that that story is is what what you can do with your life and who you can influence and the opportunities available to you to to make a difference. And it's evidenced by people all around us. Uh, don't envy them. Uh, don't don't uh, uh, think that they're better than you because they're not. You have just as much potential. You you can you can make a huge difference in your life and the lives around you, and a lot of it just starts with belief in yourself, and a lot of it starts with the fact that there is always going to be opportunity, and you can you can essentially put yourself in the position to create uh, to create solutions to problems. Yep. No, I don't have anything to add to that. That was that that it's great. I mean, it it really is just amazing to see the opportunity that's coming out there, and you'll have. I, I get sick of how many people say the, the, you know the, the end of the world. Oh, everything's bad. Everything. Uh, we just look at it so different. There's so much opportunity. There's so much to do, um, and and it's and it's. I think what's what is true about the end of the world is the status quo is ending. That model is over, and it it, it so for those people and the people that entrenched in that. Yes, you know every the sky is falling for them, but it's just it's just endless opportunity for those that are willing to be disruptive and the alternative side of it. Well said. Well said. All right, everyone. Thank you. Uh, thanks for listening this, uh, this week. It was, uh, it was fun. Uh, I think uh, we, we are going to post information about Fundrise on, uh, on the blog, but their website is uh, fundrise.com. Uh, also, uh, just check out the WellStandard, uh, wellstandard.com as well as paradigmlife.net. Uh, we're going to be posting the first chapters of the WellStandard book that's going to be coming out this year. Uh, in the next uh, the next few weeks uh, for your for your feedback, so uh, we look forward to to getting that from you. Uh, thanks again. Appreciate you uh, listening in. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Patrick Donahoe on the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard for everything financial. Thank you for listening.